0: You are listening to Handy Talks, a food media company. Welcome to Handy Talks. We are with Krish Ashok, a popular columnist and an amazing author of a very popular and best selling book of the recent times, Masala Lab. Krish, uh, or Ashok, as you would like to prefer to be called, is uh, not a chef. Uh, he is a software engineer who just loves to cook. And he's always loved to question. And he says uh, food is chemicals and uh, cooking is engineering. And he says Indian kitchens are most underrated. And he says by calling Indian cooking as art, we are undermining it. It is indeed a craft. You all listen to Handy Talks, a food media company. So Ashok, uh, tell me why do you think so? And welcome, by the way, to our podcast.
1: Thank you, thank you. Uh, So, the what I meant when I said that uh, home cooking uh, should be Indian home cooking should be considered a craft and not an art um, is for many reasons. So, one is is that what aspects of cooking is is an art? That definitely is an artistic aspect. Um, If you're a chef who who's imagining and creating uh, new dishes, uh, creating these recipes, that that is art. There is there is no doubt about that, uh, but the sheer act of just cooking for the family every day, you know, rice or chapati or dal or sabji or pulusu or whatever it is, uh, that I think is is craft uh, because it's just it's really about doing it in the least amount of time with the least amount of wastage, uh, uh, and just in. Uh, with the maximum amount of nutrition um, and so on, so it's it is in that sense it's craft, craft in the sense of it being a an engineering problem, uh, except that you know the people who do it are just you know our mothers and grandmothers, who didn't get a degree in it, uh, but naturally simply just learn from their mothers and their grandmothers. Uh, so it's a craft. It's so it's it's. Uh, so, art is something sublime and it comes from, uh, you know, years and years and years of practice and so on. There is an artistic element to it, but most day-to-day cooking is simply craft. The second thing is that uh, the moment we consider it an art, uh, it also kind of feeds into this notion that, oh, it is, it is only for women right uh men can't do this and, and only women have to be in the kitchen and so on they only have the innate uh you know uh f- flavor skills and the ability to do this and, you know men do not have it and so on i think that's just a lazy excuse to uh to really not document uh what is a lot of this uh really properly see the third problem also is that uh because we've been largely a culture that has been into oral traditions and not into writing things down um we have not documented this at all So if you do not document something in a proper way, then you tend to consider it art. Uh, You don't tend to realize that, look, you know what, there is no art to making a pullout. It's a precise series of steps that has to do with you understanding how long you have to soak the rice, uh, how much ratio by water you have to add depending on the kind of rice and how long and when do you know that it is cooked so that it's exactly fluffy and not stuck together or undercooked right um, that's craft that's engineering it's um, it's it's not art right so that's that's the reason why i sort of you know uh, describe indian home cooking uh, as a craft
0: that Greg, takes me to the uh, when you talk about oral traditions. That takes me to the recipes that you kind of talked about and how the recipes have gotten down to talking about ten grams of this and the three hundred grams of that. Whereas, yeah. mm, I mean, it would it should be actually in proportions, uh, yeah. which is being developed by West, which I thought was also the Indian way of doing it. We yeah. always took the main ingredient, and uh, you should talk about it. I think more than
1: yeah, no, you're right. So the Uh, So, obviously, I think, you know, when when I set out to uh, first seriously learn cooking when I was in my 20s, and, you know, I would talk to all my grandmothers and grandaunts and, you know, several good cooks in the family. Uh, And then I I recognized that they were not thinking about cooking um, in the way recipe books were written, right? For some reason, Indian recipe books only talk in terms of, you know, precision in terms of grams. You need all these ingredients and you have to do it precisely in the sequence and so on, but without really explaining why um, and so on. Or... Or for that matter, not realizing that uh, a person who's cooking may not have all the 20 ingredients that you're listing. Uh, And so do you give them any alternatives, right? So do you say, okay, if you don't have this, use this, right? If you don't have this, use this. So really talk about, but, but when you talk to really good cooks, they, in their minds, the way they think about cooking is not in the form of recipes. It's in the form, really, it's in the form of algorithms. These are like, oh, you know, a, a sambar or a rasam is, is generally a, you know, sort of like a, a dal-based sour gravy, right? So that's the general principle. Uh, you can use any kind of dal you want. You can use any kind of acid. Uh, you know, yeah, typically it's tamarind. Uh, but if you're in Maharashtra, you could use kokum. Uh, if you're in Kerala, you can use the, the balabar, you know, uh, tamarind and so on. Uh, or, by the way, as I as I have discovered, you can use vinegar, right? You won't be able to tell the difference. You can make rasam and sambar and pulusu with vinegar. And the, the person eating at the end will not know the difference. Uh, at the end of the day, it's about adding sourness. And you can add it any which way, right? And so, it's really about... And I realized that, you know, good cooks in India were already thinking that way. And it's just a matter of saying, look, you know, can I can I take those general rules, um, and then, you know, write a book about how don't think in terms of recipes, think in, term, think in terms of like meta models, right? So in, think in terms of this is a generic gravy, right? I can then use any ingredient in any proportion uh, that I want based on my taste, knowing what each thing brings to the table. So this brings sourness, this brings heat, and this brings say a specific kind of aromas uh, from a spices uh, standpoint and so on. And then you're done with uh, the dish basically.
0: So your sambar brings me back to the... The, the kind of things that you broke broke my heart. You have, in a way, made me rethink my whole uh, language uh, that I use <laughs> for writing on food. So right. just do talk about that and talk about sure. your uh, samba story, please.
1: So the so the uh, um, so when you think about so let's sort of take a step back. Um, and first, you know, I, I know to, to write a book, you know, you know to write a few controversial things to uh, to sort of get people's attention, yes. But but we really, if we really have to uh, bring some nuance to it. So on the one hand, um, why do people get very attached uh, to authenticity of food? Let's ask that question, right? So it's easy for me to say authenticity is not a great concept in food. That's one thing. It's my opinion, right? but if I genuinely have to convince someone. I have to first ask them to say, okay, where does this idea of authenticity come from? Right. So let's really dig deep to first principles, right? See, authenticity ultimately comes, when you really think about it, from your personal experience with a kind of dish or a kind of cuisine. Right. Uh, and that is what. So, and that, and that notion and and that your personal experience is bounded by uh, the 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 religion you were born in, the community that you were born in, uh, your family's cooking habits, uh, your neighborhood, uh, the geography or the part of India where you lived in, so therefore that uh, determined the kinds of ingredients that were available, uh, and so on. Right. So all of these go into shaping what your mind's perception of what authenticity uh, really is. And and it, you know because we're you know all linguistically divided and so on. Uh, that's how we think about authenticity. Now. The second thing is now, if you look at biology and what we have now learned about how the brain processes flavor and food. And and these are, by the way, just in the last 10 years. So, you don't have to, you know, uh, it's perfectly fine to have written about authenticity, you know, when you did. A lot of this research is still very new, right? The way we store flavor memories includes all of that context. It's not just the smell and the, the taste and sourness and salt. It is also who cooked. What was the context? What was the vessel? Uh, what was the underlying emotion behind uh, when I experienced that that specific dish? And the stronger those memories are, the more likely you are to treat them as authentic, right? So, there's a whole idea of, say, something like, say, comfort food. Uh, it's not possible for a restaurant to make your comfort food because the setting of your home and your mother and your grandmother and all of that and that dining table... And all of that is part of that package. It's not just the taste. It's not just the ingredients. It's not just the, the aroma and so on. So all the more reason why we are naturally inclined to think that, oh, no, no, this is this is the authentic way. But in reality, what we're actually saying is authenticity is essentially that this food has to taste like how I remember eating it. And, and that's really what it is, right? Uh, without realizing that no two homes make it the same way, right? So, I sometimes have, you know, people telling my mother that, oh, you put uh, ginger in rasam. We never put ginger in rasam. Uh, which is, which is, uh, which is, uh, that, you know, but I've been putting ginger, you know, at least my grandmother used to be putting ginger. So, I have no idea. I've always believed this is authentic, right? And then she's shocked when somebody says, no, we never put uh, ginger in rasam. Ginger in rasam is not authentic, right? So, likewise, I think, you know, I think if you really extend it to all food, um, then you kind of realize how silly it is, right? So, a dish like sambar, um, for starters... Um, is not a natively uh, a Tamil Nadu or a, a dish at all. Uh, it it's, it is said to have come from Maharashtra, right, uh, uh, and so on. So you think about its ingredients. So you the the if you uh, see the Tamil Harvest Festival, it is actually uh, pongal, uh, and pongal itself is made from rice and moong dal, uh, moong because moong dal is the most commonly grown uh, dal in 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 uh, in at least in uh, in Tamil Nadu, right? Tur dal was introduced by the Maharashtrians. So the sambar has tur dal. It does not have mung dal, right? Uh, and the other interesting thing is that uh, the uh, the Maharashtrians use kokum uh, in in Maharashtra, but they kokum was not available here, so they replaced that with tamarind, because tamarind was what the locals used, and so on. The other interesting thing is that literally every ingredient in the sambar, most of the ingredients in the sambar, are not even Indian in origin. Okay, chilies what what did not arrive in India till the Portuguese bought them. Tomatoes did not arrive in India till the Portuguese bought them. Yes. Potatoes did not arrive. Uh, literally, carrots and beans and most things that things that you associate with sambal were not originally used. And again, and by the way, if you're not using the small onion or you're using the regular large size onion, that is also of Portuguese origin, right? So, in fact, if it's interesting, if you go to Kerala, uh, the the word for the small onion only, which is the which is the onion word for onion, right? the word for the large onion or what we normally use on a day-to-day basis is uh, savala which is the portuguese word for onion right so it is quite fascinating that uh, what we consider oh. to be authentic is often is is just uh, is just our own biases that's all right um and, and and sometimes so we say, oh, no, 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 authentic this this dish should not have this ingredient is silly because in many cases that ingredient is probably not even Indian and it wasn't even around uh two or three hundred years ago, right? So that's why I, I kind of tell people that look, remember that I think it's okay to experience authenticity and uh, uh as a personal preference, right? Uh, it's, it's essentially at the end of the day, as long as you understand that look, you like rasam this way i like rasam with garlic somebody else does not like rasam with garlic somebody else like rasam made with uh mutton stock Ev- to each their own right but there is no general notion of authenticity
0: like you put brandy in your um, dal makhani that's
1: absolutely absolutely
0: <laughs> that i thought was a a major engineering breakthrough that you've brought
1: not not really again again fascinating thing is that uh, I, i'm sure you would have seen this i think one of the internet's most viral videos is uh, yeah. is this uh, youtube guy uh, uh called va chef who who makes this uh, toddy chicken andhra based uh, yes, toddy of chicken yes he's he's from and city, he, yes yeah so so he so he, he 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 cooks the chicken he drinks a little bit of toddy but he also so i think cooking and alcohol um, is not new to india um, it has always been there yeah. uh, uh, in the sense that, but I think as social uh, taboos against alcohol increased uh, and particularly kind of became worse during the British times when the British aggressively prevented yeah. all kinds of local brewing uh, so that they could yeah. only sell their own sort of, you know, uh, uh, British, you know, uh, alcohol and so on. Uh, the social taboos against alcohol increased. Um, and so now we still continue to have those kinds of taboos. But cooking with alcohol is, is common in many parts of the world. Uh, and so, in that sense, yes, it's not new at all, right? So even actually, incidentally, in Kerala, we even have uh, before a- the Kerala arrival of used- yeast, right, baking soda and yeast, uh, they used to use uh, toddy to ferment. Uh, to make appam uh, yes. and so on, right? So because it has yes. its even today,
0: so. I think that kalla yes. is very popular. Uh, even today, yes. the kalla appam is very popular. Yes, yes. Yes. So, um, when did you first think? I know you've been writing columns. I'm sure this this whole uh, knowledge and this whole experimenting and uh, trying to verify has come through the years. But uh, when did you actually think of writing a book? I,
1: to, to be fair, I, I was actually quite. Uh, uh, I was actually too lazy to actually write like 60,000 words into a book. I was I preferred the, you know, just make a video, just make a, uh, just write a column or a blog post or, uh, you know, less effort and can get it done in an hour types, right? This requires uh, real thinking uh, and so on. So I, I actually, Penguin approached me uh, quite a while back, almost five years back to say, you should write a book. I mean, they didn't tell me it had to be about food uh, because, you know, back then I wasn't, um, I wasn't, let's say I, I wasn't writing about food as commonly as as i am now um i used to write about other things uh and so on although i was still cooking every day and i was still you know doing my research and now uh, it never really uh and so when they ultimately said you know, uh you should write a book now uh etc just uh and then i told them that look you know okay maybe I can write about food science uh and then i gave them a i gave them another proposal for some science fiction and also this food science just as an afterthought and penguin said no write the food science book because there's nothing like it. And we're just starting in the middle of the pandemic. People will want to learn to cook. Please write it now. Uh, and in retrospect, it ended up being the, <laughs> the right decision, uh, if you will, uh, because I think it, uh, the book has done surprisingly well. Um, and uh, I was sort of pleasantly surprised uh, by the fact that uh, it ended up finding a niche of of uh, uh, talking about Indian cooking in a way that it hasn't been talked about before. And so I, I guess that's why. Uh, so that's how the, the book came to be
0: but i'm sure there's a lot of research also that came in after you started oh,
1: yeah. writing book to yes. to actually to be fair i think the a bulk of the research was say, i'm someone who writes down things all the time so like uh, going back to almost uh, uh seven or eight years um, i have notes on what i tried to cook what uh, what sort of recipe did i use how did it turn out uh, and what should i change the next time to improve it right so i've ha- i've made like lots of notes right so i do like for example um, and uh, and what I used to do is just sort of po- just post photos of those experiments on the internet and say okay this is what I made and this is how it turned out uh, and so I have like so I have a lot of data uh, and in terms of okay so I've tried to make chapati dough with uh, 70% water 80% water 100% water uh, and so I sort of so I've had all of this data I think it was just a matter of bringing it all together um, and to be honest actually the uh, uh, I I started writing and and finished writing the the first draft in about six weeks. So, the uh, b- bulk of the research was there. But obviously, what I learned while I was writing is is really some of those more fascinating stories and side stories. Uh, while I had to sit and verify some of the science uh, to see if my inferences were also there in some you know reference book uh, and so on. So, those were all the interesting things that I learned you know in the course of writing.
0: So well, actually, Hundred Talks is also a food media company and a content writing company. So when I was putting emphasis on documentation, I thought I should ask you what exactly uh, you see lacking in the Indian food writing space. And so uh, I think there there? is
1: right. No, so in general, I think what I see is that uh, there is no, there is a great amount of writing about the history, culture. Uh, the social context and the background of a cuisine of a region of 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 uh, and so on. Uh, so there's there's clearly no dirt of that at all, and it's and it's a lot of fantastic writing. So what I what I often see as a as as a, as as saying is one that it then ends up the the beautiful writing is then ends with a recipe. Okay. Um, and I feel that I think the writers are not spending time dissecting those recipes to. to to truly give a more broader picture of how people actually cook, right? Uh, So the people in that culture, let's say somebody is writing an article about, say, Kashmiri food and they say Kashmiri aloo dham and and they kind of describe that. Uh, And they say, this is how you bake a Kashmiri aloo dham uh, and so on, right? And they will say, yeah, you need all of these ingredients uh, and you bake it and so on. Uh, But I think to to a person, say, not living in Kashmir, uh, I think the, the the explanation for why you do some of those steps has to be given. Right? So why do Kashmiris soak their spices in water, make a paste, uh, and, and then they use that? And and, and for instance, uh, a lot of Kashmiri food, pundit food particularly, is, is just basically your dried ginger, fennel, Um, And the Kashmiri chilies form a very central part of the flavor profile uh, and so on, right? Um, And why, for instance, uh, that you cannot replace the dried ginger with regular ginger? Because regular fresh ginger has a different flavor than dried ginger uh, and so on. So I think one is the fact that uh, a lot of food writing somehow does not dissect the actual cooking process and focuses more on the history and the the traditions and and the stories and so on, but not really on, okay, what if this doesn't work? What if... uh, How do I actually think about this at a better level? What if I don't have this ingredient, and so on? So that's that's clearly uh, number one, and number two, uh, in general.